if we had video on, we could call this like two bald guys in tech, but it's not that. So we won't call it that. Welcome to another episode of Inflect. In this episode, Michael Daney, founder and CEO of FlexPoint Consulting, talks with Shikhar Singh, Enterprise Solutions Lead at Copy AI. Shikhar describes how the team at Copy AI has built and personally used generative AI tools, not just to boost productivity, but to solve new business challenges. He invites us all to ask, if capacity weren't a constraint, what would your 2024 business plan look like? What initiatives would you put on the list? And how would you go about tackling these initiatives with the benefit of generative AI? We hope this episode provides some helpful examples in thinking through these questions. Hey, Shikar, welcome to Enflect. How are you? I'm doing awesome, Michael. How's your day going? It's going great. It's been a great week, and this is a perfect way to uh, to kind of end the week talking about some cool, exciting things, specifically around AI. And I'm really grateful that you took the time to do this today. You and I go back a long ways and work together uh, back in the day. And I think so highly of you and value your opinion and insights and kind of forward-looking vision. And so I'm really excited to have you on and talk about some of the stuff you're doing and how that may be relevant for our clients. I'm stoked to share more of that, but you know, really likewise on all top on all, all of those points. Uh, it was awesome to find an excuse to reconnect with you, Michael. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, hey, I know a lot about you, but for our listeners who may not, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your kind of career background, and certainly about Copy AI? Yeah, I'd love to. So I'll start. You know, most recent to first, or most recent first here. Um, I uh, I'm currently the enterprise solutions lead at Copy AI. What that means is a big aspect of my role today is actually helping customers understand the capabilities of generative AI, um, how they can actually leverage it in order to, uh, you know, hopefully do something similar to what we're doing, but actually really impact the way that they're um, really driving outcomes to the business. Um, prior to this, I was actually the head of solutions architecture at MoveWorks, uh, which was a uh, another AI company that was actually started in 2016. And uh, prior to that, I spent eight years in consulting. So. Pretty much my entire career has been summed up as um, you know someone that has spent a lot of time um, working with enterprise customers, advising them um, on everything from strategy to you know what app they should build next. But most recently, spent a lot of time really helping customers understand the capabilities of AI and using those capabilities in a in a way that actually are helping to drive the outcomes they care about most. Yeah, and unlike me, you were you were wise enough and smart enough to save yourself and get out of consulting. So kudos to you on that front. Uh, I'm I'm still on the dark side, I guess, as they say. Uh, but yeah, I think I think a really good good background for our listeners about your kind of journey and experiences, and maybe leaning more into generative AI specifically. Tell us a little bit about what Copy AI is doing for your clients, and then maybe we can build on that to kind of broader enterprise use cases. Yeah, absolutely. So if you haven't heard the story of Copy AI yet, um, let me actually summarize why I decided to, to join this company. And honestly, one of the coolest things that I've gotten to experience in the entirety of my career. Uh, we started building on, in, on, on generative AI stack in 2020. Um, we started off building actually on GPT-2. Um, since then, obviously, things have uh, grown quite a bit, but I can really summarize our journey with three numbers. In 29 months, we've amassed 10 million users and 
everything that we do is powered by 36 people. And that foundationally is not really, you know, a set of numbers that you hear together, especially, you know, when you think about really what it means to actually be able to deliver impacts, um, you know, for, for that many users. And so that was, you know, kind of my first point of intrigue when considering, you know, what I wanted to do next. But um, I think a key aspect of really what makes that possible is actually the, the core business that we're in, which is uh, leveraging the capabilities that we've learned uh, to build the tools that we need that will allow us to scale our growth. And in addition, um, you know, really create a different work experience that can actually allow us to use AI in order to be able to focus on the things that matter most and, you know, automate a lot of the, uh, the white collar assembly line work, so to speak, that tends to get in the way of what we love. Yeah, what, what I love about that, Shakar, and you, you mentioned this to me offline before today, but y'all are really kind of living and doing a lot of this internally to enable your own growth. I think that's what you were alluding to in the same way you're trying to help your, your customers do it. And I know you mentioned some examples around like webinars and sales prospecting. Maybe give a couple of those examples of how, how you're using um, AI internally. That's a great call out, Michael. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of noise right now around really the, the basic co-pilot application for AI. And sure, you know, we've all heard great things that people were able to do on ChatGPT. What we've probably also learned is that people tend to actually be more successful when they're able to break down a more complex task into a series of components. So we're basically uh, doing that with our own platform uh, that we've built primarily to actually uh, automate a lot of the things that uh, I think, you know, really get in the way of focusing on uh, the things that are most important. To give you a few use cases, right, um, we run webinars weekly. It's a key aspect of our growth strategy. Um, and of course, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're spreading what people can do with our platform. Um, at the same time, our entire performance marketing team is actually just two people. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of pain that goes into actually, you know, even running a webinar. First, you have to know what you're going to talk about. Then you have to market the webinar. You have to create a description. You have to create, um, you know, really all of the, the social content and all the other promotional content. Then after a webinar is over, you actually have to do all of the content repurposing, right? Uh, create YouTube ready descriptions, actually create snippet videos that can be shared on other channels. Um, that entire process used to be basically an entire week um, with our workflows platform. What we've been able to do is actually create a series of AI steps that took that business process, right? All the things that we do pre-webinar, all the things that we do post-webinar, and simply use our engine in order to be able to take a few bullet points and create every asset that we would need to market a webinar. And then after the webinar, just take a transcript or an audio file and actually produce all of the outputs that we would, you know, otherwise want to, you know, create YouTube-ready descriptions and, you know, all of the, the content repurposing. The impact of that is, frankly, you know, it just takes a couple of minutes and, the, the folks on our, our performance marketing team are, of course, probably happiest about that. Um, from a sales perspective, uh, think about really all of the work that goes into prospecting, um, figuring out who someone is, what they care about, why they might actually be interested in talking to you. Um, this is, you know, a, honestly, a fairly challenging job. Uh, well, it turns out if you can actually take the best practices that a typical sales development representative would leverage, uh, we can actually use that same capability to say, get content from a lead en enrichment network or LinkedIn uh, and actually write personalized sequences. So we're not sending those generic emails that you're probably deleting. And you know, the, the, the list goes on and on. Um, our, our approach really to, to building on uh, generative AI is actually focusing on the things that would otherwise require us to scale in a natural way and find a path to be able to automate that using our platform. 
Yeah, I, I love those examples, and certainly uh, they, they resonate with me um, in terms of some of the out, kind of outbound sales and marketing activities. And I think an interesting um, aspect of this that I'm sure you are feeling, given your line of work, is AI and generative AI are not new, right? They've been around for a while, but they have certainly captured the, um, I guess, the hearts and minds or the attention um, in the last, call it six months of the world, more more so than they had had before. And so there's a lot of talk about it. And I think what I'm finding with some of our clients and partners is folks understand it. They understand how AI and how generative AI can accelerate or automate specific tasks. I think what's interesting about what you're describing and kind of what y'all are doing more broadly is thinking about not just how do we improve each widget in the process, but how do we think about a broader process through a new lens? Can you talk to that a little bit more about this idea of like taking a step back and thinking about truly transforming an organization through these kind of tools and tactics versus just, you know, making each little piece a little bit better? So when when you zoom out um, and really think about what the opportunity is for AI for a business, I think there's an obvious desire to just think about getting everything that you're needing to get done today faster. And let's be honest, we've probably all heard stories of the people that have 17 jobs and are just, you know, writing code with ChatGPT until they get found out and fired. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, probably not the, the best use case though, you know, albeit is a, it's probably a challenge for some organizations today. Um, it's not just about getting work done faster, right? It's about actually thinking about the zero to one opportunities that present themselves. And I think marketing is actually a great example. For the last you know, decade plus, every company that has been interested in you know, actually solving problems uh, that, that, are, that are near and dear to you know, any, any marketer's heart has been amassing mountains of data to better understand their users, better segment them, uh, better understand how they can message to them, better understand you know, what their behavior is and ultimately tailoring an experience that is more likely for them to convert. Now, ultimately, after doing all that work, what do we do, right? We send them a generic email, um, say we're an e-commerce provider, we're going to send them, you know, the same abandoned cart email that everyone else gets. When we show them an ad, it's the same ad that we show to an engineer that we, well, maybe that's that's uh, maybe a little bit more hyper-specific, but you get, you get the idea, right? Um, our, our, our content is only as good as our segments and our data despite being at the user grain, doesn't actually influence our outcomes. And so when you think about what the transformational opportunity with AI is, um, say for a vertical like marketing, it's actually just to have a one-to-one conversation with all of the people that you've been aiming to have a one-to-one conversation with. What generative AI presents is really a solution to the last mile problem, which means that rather than just trying to get the same work done faster, if we can actually use the data silos that we've been creating and pair them with the processes that are actually emblematic of you know, our, our, our best creators, what we can actually do is create outcomes that are actually in line with everyone that's involved, right? So leverage the data that we've collected to speak to an individual customer and actually influence new outcomes, better understand their feedback, um, aggregate that feedback at scale, and feed it back into the flywheel that we've created across our product or engineering teams. Um, you know, there's obviously a ton of other zero to one use cases that you could think of, for example, like with movie creation or audio creation, or really a lot of the, uh, you know, um, other, other sides or other domains that we might think of. Uh, but that foundationally gives us a mechanism to actually create transformative impact for an organization that actually 
goes well beyond, you know, just doing something a little bit faster. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think the, I guess another way of, of putting it or thinking about it is not how do I use AI and automation only to cut costs and only to solve the productivity problem? Like, of course, that's important, like you said. But I think the the more interesting, exciting question is, how do I use these tools and capabilities to grow my top line, to reach a new market or new customers or um, kind of do things that, to your point, I haven't been able to do for 10 or 20 or 50 years because of some capacity constraint, human or otherwise, how does this kind of remove some of those barriers? I think that, I think the the leaders and the organizations that are asking the question in that way, not just how do I use this to cut a little cost, those are the ones that are really, I think, going to thrive in this new era. A thousand percent. And that's a conversation that we have with, uh, or that I have with, with prospects every single day. Um, you know, really opening their their eyes to think a little bit differently about what generative AI could be for their business. Uh, because I think that there is, you know, obviously a natural desire to see it as, wow, this thing, you know, could honestly represent a huge cost-cutting potential for my organization and help me get a lot of the work that takes a lot of time done faster. Uh, there's value in that velocity. Uh, but, you know, I think we're we're missing for the, the, the forest for the trees when we, we start to do that as a, as a starting point. Yeah, for sure. You you mentioned your conversations with clients and prospects, and I'm I know you are kind of living this every day. Um, what I guess what else do you think might be broken or um, suboptimal or I don't know the right way to put it, but a little off in the way organizations might be thinking about AI. Like, are there other things you go, man? I w- I wish more organizations would think about it in this way or through this lens. Yeah. So let's, let's start with, you know, just one of the common tendencies that people have when they're, they're thinking about, you know, what, what AI can do for a a company is actually to frame it within this lens. Like say, for example, you know, you're, you're, I'm talking to a CIO, um, the CIO's desire will probably be to, you know, think about it from a cost cutting perspective, or that might be the natural starting point of the conversation. Um, ultimately, the CIO is obviously important in making the decision, um, but there's a wide variety of other people that are involved, right? Um, typically a VP or you know, some trusted advisors are going to be involved in actually helping to scope out use cases, be a part of the evaluation, and assemble, you know, kind of a tiger team that can help them figure out, you know, how, how to make that investment best. Now, when you frame it as a cost-cutting measure and you know that you've hired great leaders, Great leaders want to protect their people, and that can sometimes make it really, really challenging to actually ensure that these evaluations are conducted in a way that is, you know, effectively going to produce the right outcomes for the business. And that's why it's, I think, so important for companies to think about the zero to one opportunity as opposed to thinking about it as simply a cost cutting measure, because the way that we frame the value of AI and the potential of AI within an organization will actually drastically influence, one, whether or not these projects are successful, two, um, what you even go about testing, and three, the the desire for um, the folks that are actually boots on the ground that have the business processes that you trust to actually conduct, um, you know, a lot of the work that you need to get done, um, from you know, effectively being as uh, as transparent as they they could be and as invested as it could be in those outcomes, and rather, I think a better framework to use is think about all the things that you actually signed up to to do when you decided to join, you know, a particular company, right? The automation potential and the obvious value of that automation 
isn't, you know, that, that those things just, you know, are the only point to your, to your life, right? The only point of your, um, you know, day-to-day for work, but actually to ask the question, what would your day look like if those things didn't take time anymore? What could you do with the excess capacity that you've created? And, you know, this goes directly back to your point about making top line revenue a a bigger priority. Effectively, you could, you know, actually leverage the same uh, productive capacity that you have today in order to be able to drive significantly more impact from a business analyst all the way up to a VP, all the way up to an entire new product line or other key strategic projects. And that's a way to reframe the way that, you know, even even just doing the same work faster could um, be, you know, it could be as a, as a mandate, a top level mandate for generative AI evaluations. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I love you use the word impact or purpose. And I think, I think that's a really helpful lens for organizations and leaders to look, look at all this through as well is yes, of course, we're trying to drive shareholder value and, and drive profits and all that. But every organization, at least every, every uh, good organization has a purpose a purpose in in addition to or um, kind of in 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 tied into its kind of core being, and so I think it's really interesting to ask the question of how could we use generative AI to better meet our purpose or to better scale our impact. And of course, money will follow, right? For 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 profit organizations, if you're doing it well, um, but I think that can help. To your point, help broaden the conversation so it's not just a cost cutting discussion. A hundred percent. And, you know, I think that um, one of the other things that I think is a bit broken, uh, or at least probably will be very broken in the, the next, I don't know, like year or so, uh, is, I mean, we've already seen more model releases and more startups born in 2023 alone than have been in the last five years. And what that means is that there's going to be a massive uh, selection of potential tools that teams have the option of adopting. And if you think about a typical procurement process or think about a typical evaluation cycle, um, there's simply not enough time and there's too much at stake to evaluate one tool for one team for one purpose. And that actually means that in order to actually reap the most out of our investments, we have to get really good at either evaluating tools very, very quickly or actually looking for you know tools that effectively allow us to solve more than just one problem for one stakeholder. Because I mean, I'll be the first to say it, the genie is out of the bottle, right? All of your employees um, have likely used ChatGPT and may or may not have successful experiences with them. Um, but at the end of the day, I think every employee in the world realizes that, you know, the, the notion that they're going to be obsolete if they don't get an understanding of how to use these tools is a critical aspect of really what's motivating them to want to stay current, to want to keep up with these tools, to try um, what's available. And that's probably something that's evident in the demand for tools that, you know, a typical um, you know, C-level executive is seeing across the business today. Um, so I think that, you know, the procurement process <laughs> is just not really designed uh, to be able to do that. And, um, you know, we really need to spend a lot of time thinking about what it means and, you know, based on how valuable it is to the business, how we want to actually conduct um, those evaluations in order to drive not just, you know, impact for the product team or a project that stays secret in the lab, but actually true operational value that puts these tools in the hands of the creators, the hands of the people that, that need it most, and actually then evolves to, to be a fundamental fabric of the DNA of the business. Yeah, I, I think it's such an astute observation you make about tools, the number of tools and tool selections and procurement processes and all that, because as you know, 
so many organizations spent decades building homegrown technologies. And then we, then we were in this, um, this kind of uh, big age of enterprise software and SaaS applications where it was, Hey, you're going to, you're going to kind of get a subscription to this tool. Now we're into and entering this, this world where you can't just like run your business with three big SaaS applications. Like you can't just have, you know, one big CRM tool and a big ERP and, and call it a day. Organizations are, are going to have dozens or hundreds of tools, some smaller than others. Um, and so figuring out a way is what we're helping a lot of our clients do. Figure out a way to build a strategy and a culture that embraces using fit for use tools, kind of where they make sense in the business, not being married to one or two big things. I think that's going to be a big mindset shift. It, we're already seeing it as a big mindset shift for a lot of a lot of organizations. Totally. And Michael, we haven't even entered the age of just-in-time applications. And uh, I think you know a thing or two about how passionate I am about development. <laughs> but you know, um, what I'm seeing in this space due to the hypergrowth and hypercompetition in the model layer, as well as you know, just the amount of innovation that's happening in the AI space is that, you know, there's a world in the near future where the application that you need to solve your problem is something that doesn't even exist yet, but will exist after you can describe it. And that's kind of surreal, right? It, it kind of means that the value of software is in question. The value of VC is in question, uh, but it also means that there is an immense, um, an immense value, right? For being able to allow me to effectively have a platform that can create the tools that I need to solve my job, to, to solve, you know, my own problems on a day to day. And, you know, there doesn't have to be a massive line of users around the corner that are waiting to adopt it, right? That's really what's driven the growth of SaaS. If you think about the use cases that have thrived there, um, everyone has, you know, a sales team, so they probably need Salesforce. Everyone has a website, so they probably need a, you know, CRM, whether it's, you know, WordPress or AEM, depending on the, the scale of your investments. Uh, but relying on these SaaS platforms, the, the Goliaths to be able to solve and address the each each individual needs, even if they are incorporating AI into the business, just means that you're effectively, you know, seeding the AI strategy uh, that that you want for your business to whatever roadmaps they have, and ultimately, when you get it, all of your competitors will get it. So that's why it's important to think a little bit differently about really how AI fits into the business and what, what is your generative AI strategy? What, what investments are you making and why are you making? Yeah, I, I have loved this conversation. I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think most folks get it like, okay, AI is here. I need to figure out a way to leverage it in the enterprise. I don't think there's, I don't think there's pushback on that idea. I think the challenge is how, like, what's the, what's the first step? How do I do this? Well, and I think you have provided a lot of great food for thought around how to maybe ask different questions and think about it a little bit differently um, in a way that I think will be uh, will be very useful to our our listeners and our clients. Thanks, Michael. And you know that that's just part of really my my day to day. And uh, you know, honestly, I'd, I'd like to say it's just a part of my day job, but I can't get this out of my head. This is a perfect match between all of the topics that I've um, you know kept to keep up with or tried to keep up with over the years, whether it's history, philosophy, um, you know, tech, AI, uh, these are, you know, all very important uh, uh, threads to me. But if I could summarize it as, as really, you know, one question that every leader should ask themselves, and, and this really, you know, is not one that I think uh, you can answer very quickly, but 
Um, at least every time I've asked it, it's tend to stump people, right? But it, it's if capacity weren't constrained, right? If, if if the people that you needed to get something done weren't a constraint, whether you're a leader in IC or you know any other um, member within an organization, what would your 2024 business plan look like? What initiatives would you put on that list? How would you go about tackling those initiatives? Because that's that's the age that we're in. We have infinite creativity at the power of our fingertips, and we don't even have to pay the twenty dollars a month for ChatGPT Plus to be able to leverage, um, <laughs> you know, these technologies in order to be able to drive impact. It really is, um, in many ways, the the great equalizer of our times, and it's exciting to to think about a world in which you know the the to do list that keeps us up at night and prevents us from getting started on anything actually becomes the greatest motivating factor for getting shit done. I think that is a great note to end on. It's an equalizer and a motivator for getting shit done. Couldn't couldn't have said any better myself. So, uh, Shakar, thank you again so much for joining us. I really enjoyed the conversation. I uh, enjoyed it as well, Michael. It's been all my pleasure. Um, the only thing I regret is that we both don't have a giant plate of barbecue in front of us right now. The next time, maybe we'll uh, record this at Terry Black's. Hey, I think that's good. Uh, on the last episode of the podcast, I gave a shout out to the chocolate chip cookies at Tiny Boxwoods. And so I think it's fitting that on this episode, we give a shout out to the brisket at Terry Black's. And maybe maybe one of these fine institutions will start sponsoring us. I don't know. I, I would be back any day for really either <laughs> of those two sponsorships. Those cookies are, I, I, I can't get enough of them. Oh my gosh, you and me both. Uh, well, hey, thanks, Shakar. Thanks so much, Michael.